Adventist uh, church with unique challenges and I would say also opportunities. I am of the opinion that Islam is losing its grip on the honest-hearted Muslim globally. And this uh, provides an incredible opportunity for us as a world church. Um, and the opportunities, I believe, and the challenges that uh, we are confronted with uh, includes the reality that um, Islam uh, has a worldview like any other worldview. It um, reaches uh, beyond the externals of culture and uh, ritual to the inner recesses of the human self with its ingrained narrative and self-consciousness. And while ordinary Muslims around the world do not form a monolithic block, and while they represent a uniquely ordered synthesis of multiple differing worldviews, in other words, if you are a Saudi, uh, you will have a different worldview than if you were an Egyptian from Upper Egypt and uh, certainly a Persian or someone living in Indonesia. Uh, so um, Islam does not um, uh, form a, a, a monolithic block, uh, but rather it represents a uniquely ordered synthesis of multiple differing worldviews, but nevertheless, a distinctive overarching Islamic worldview informs the unity and the diversity of Muslim worldviews and their everyday lives. It touches their soul. It is self-defining. In other words, a, a Muslim finds who they are within that paradigm. It's orienting, it's ethical, it's spiritual, it's communal, it's licit. In other words, it has to do with what is legal and not legal. It's missional and it's eschatological. And I could add to the list here that it is also global in its reach and in its vision for what it seeks to do in the world. So then I, I naturally ask the question, what then of the worldview transformation envisioned in our proclaiming the eternal gospel uh, invitation of the three angels message? And I hope you caught that. I believe that the three angels message is not so much about doctrine uh, as it is worldview and casting a worldview, and we, we need to understand that more fully. So what then of the worldview transformation envisioned in our proclamation of the eternal gospel, invitation of the three angels' message? What do we need to understand about Islamic worldview and its impact on the human heart together with our own Adventist worldview for this intended worldview transformation of the three angels' message to become a reality to Muslims? That's the question that stirs in my, my mind. And I believe that questions of critical contextualization and praxis are dependent on how we might answer uh, that question. The reality is, is that the numerous bridging themes, the values and and um, practices and beliefs, which you and I as Adventists seem to hold in common with Muslims in themselves, do not adequately plumb the depth of worldview, let alone 
the radical difference of meanings, understandings, and implications within our respective worldviews. And this is probably the single biggest struggle that I have had um, moving to the Middle East and working within this um, frame of reference. Um, there are many uh, bridges that we have, but um, I have learned that um, these bridges are largely surface. Um, they are largely phenomenological links. Some are compared functionally by us, but few reach deeper towards understanding Islam's core logic on the, what I would call, the macro-hermeneutical level. Nor do these common themes in themselves effectively touch the heart of a Muslim's deepest orientation, identity, and spirituality. There is need to purposefully explore below the surface. And that is what uh, I hope uh, to accomplish here for just a few moments. Uh, that um, what we would have here is a core comparative approach where we, we explore the inner logic and the basic core values and the assumptions of Islam uh, in relation to our own perspectives. And I believe that this is important for, for, for understanding Islamic worldview and characterizing the movement and the nature of Islam as a historical, religious, social, ethical, cultural, intellectual, legal, pol and political phenomenon. And to do that in balance with Muslim individuals who are adherents to Islamic faith and practice, and to do so on a macro-hermeneutical level of Adventist great controversy meta-narrative. In order to effectively engage Muslims on the level of either their internal narrative or their external practice, you and I must first grasp the implications of our own distinctive, biblically informed worldview and faith in relation to Islam. Only then can we more fully understand the implications of Islamic worldview and the nature of Islam within the great controversy meta-narrative. And only better then can we intuit and this is where I hope to end, or I will end in our discussion. Only then can we better intuit the existential impact which Islamic worldview has on the heart, soul, and everyday life of a Muslim. That is what ultimately I believe I need to connect with. The, on the, the existential level of how the worldview in which the average Muslim lives and breathes and experiences life in it actually impacts their soul. And so I ask the question, how can an Adventist bridge to Muslim persons if they do not grasp the existential implications and or the impact of Islamic metanarrative on a Muslim's heart and internal vision? If we remain on the phenomenological level, um, then 
we will be in, uh, inhibited. And so I repeat, Adventist practitioners must first grasp the biblical implications of their own distinctive worldview and faith before they can effectively engage Muslims, either on the level of their internal narrative or their exterior practice. Biblically sound contextualization begins with worldview narrative and faith rather than with ritual culture or cultural practice per se. It is necessary to understand the Islamic and Muslim worldviews and faith understandings of a given culture and practice. Worldview goes deeper than doctrine, deeper than theology, deeper than behavior. While it includes these things. And with these purposes in mind, this study suggests a core comparative approach which understands that both Adventism and Islam have their own inner logic, a basic core of values and assumptions, notions and beliefs, which integrate all other elements into a coherent whole and determines the true meaning of things within their respective meta-narratives. And this core comparison approach that I suggest, however, will be done reflectively in the context of understanding the difference between a Muslim and Islam. A distinction which I believe allows an objective critical exploration of Islamic worldview from biblical, theological, and ethical perspectives on one hand, and nurtures respect and love for individual Muslims as people of faith, piety, and moral values on the other. And um, we assert that this approach puts us in better touch with Muslims as people. It helps us understand Muslims as human beings, even as we might critique and assess Islam as other than benign in the great controversy meta-narrative. Of course, this will not be a rigid comparison contrast in the sense of denying the missional potential of phenomenological bridges between Adventism and, and Islam. Rather, we ask how these links might be plumbed deeper for their worldview context in which consequent existential implications unfold. We would understand the implications of Islamic worldview context and its consequent existential effects to Adventist mission. And so we seek a sensitivity to the very personal existential realities of individual Muslims with respect to the worldview narrative that lay deep within the recesses of their self and which provides the presuppositions and foundations on which they live and experience their contemporary world. Macro hermeneutics is an essential first step towards this process. It's critical that we engage these worldview realities before we explore the nuances of specific Islamic theology, ritual, or everyday life, or even interpret the, or even the interpretation of specific Quranic texts. This, I believe, is a unique time in the history of humanity when Islam has become a global phenomenon. 
where millions of Muslims for the first time are experiencing a world beyond Islam. Islamic culture is in crisis. Islamic writers themselves use such terminology. The Muslim world appears broken, unable to take care of its own, unable to solve its conflicts, unable, it seems, to be moved even to care for its own. Many Muslims feel helpless, disgusted, and ashamed. And yet, Islamic worldview continues to encapsulate and determine the everyday lives of billions of Muslims. More than ever before, there is need of sensitivity to the existential realities of individual Muslims with respect to the things which they experience in our contemporary world. The things that they experience in the contemporary world today is worldview processed and driven. It is on this level, I believe, that the greatest potential for worldview engagement and transformation exists in the preaching of the three angels' message. Now, I have a little graph here that, that I just share with you that's helped me in the classroom and myself to just see what it is that uh, we've just been talking about. We have two umbrellas here. One umbrella is the biblical, uh, biblically informed worldview and the biblically informed theology. And on the other umbrella is a Quranic worldview and a Quranically informed theology. And you can see underneath each umbrella, there is a, uh, there is a um, spectrum okay, of themes, principles, core values, teaching, ethics, and a view of God. Each umbrella has their own core values, their own frame of reference. But then you see in the middle, that uh, there, are, there are some themes and, and values that may overlap, but depending on the umbrella, they engender different meanings. And this is one of the single most important things that I believe that we need to understand when we work with our Muslim friends, um, that we can be using the same words, but we may we likely mean totally different things. This is a huge challenge. Of course, those, my friends in, in the area of mis mission, uh, understand uh, this much more keenly than I do. But um, uh, what about the great controversy metronarrative then? When engaging Islam as a historical, religious, social, ethical, cultural, intellectual, and legal, political, uh, phenomenon, and that's a big long list because it speaks to how encapsulating the worldview and the, the, the life of Islam really is. A, an Adventist core comparative approach asserts the hermeneutical priority of the biblical cosmic conflict metanarrative which we understand to be the great controversy. It is macro hermeneutical. This implies, of course, that we are not comparing two equally valid worldviews. Rather, we explore where or how Islam and its worldview fits into this larger, biblically informed vision of the great controversy between good and evil. 
The macro hermeneutical approach has become increasingly necessary, I believe, as Adventist scholars engage anew the question of Islam in biblical apocalyptic, which is Daniel and Revelation, and seek to understand contemporary Islam in relation to the emergence of the final conflict between good and evil, which Revelation terms Babylon. This biblical, prophetic, apocalyptic, cosmic conflict perspective of reality with its corresponding philosophical, theological, spiritual, and moral truths is informative and it is normative. It lends both metaphysical and epistemological insight. The macro-hermeneutical perspective informs two realms, the philosophical, theological, and the ethical on the one hand, and the existential and experiential on the other. And it is this latter which I am more interested in, but um, it takes a little while to get there. So the macro-hermeneutical perspective um, gives insights into two realms, the philosophical, theological, and ethical, and the existential and the experiential. It enables decisive critique of Islamic worldview together with insight into the implications of how these, these worldview implications may impact a Muslim's heart and their internal vision. The broad focus or foci of this great controversy macro hermeneutic comprises the, the things that I have here on the list, which is the, the great controversy meta-narrative, um, the revelation of the character of God as love, the sanctuary hermeneutical vision, which, which is uh, our heavenly sanctuary understanding is what we articulate both um, uh, synchronically and diachronically in terms of, of its, its, its implications uh, for the, the, the plan of salvation and its how God relates to human beings. The finality of God's revelation in Jesus Christ, which has been at the heart of the great controversy from its inception, and then the eternal gospel in a historic, prophetic, apocalyptic context, which then enables us to understand that Revelation 18, in the call out of Babylon, includes the call out of Islam and is directed to, to um, Muslims. These Foci place Islam in the larger framework of biblical apocalyptic eschatological visions, outline of the development of evil in history, and how Islam fits ultimately within the emerging moral, spiritual dysfunction and malaise of last day Babylon. Adventist worldview posits the invitation of Revelation 18, 4, and 5, as I've already said, as equally including Islam and directed to Muslims. The more specific integrating worldview themes that uh, this broad meta-narrative includes has these in mind, and that is the the realm of the visible and the invisible, the unseen worlds, 
the spirit and spiritual entities and spheres of reality. And that also has in mind God, does he exist, and his nature, um, his, um, his power, his nature, his proximity, his character. It has in mind also origins. So there is the issue of causality, whether it's personal, whether it's power or it's through an agency. Is it natural? Is it supernatural? Is it human? Is it deterministic? These are questions that any worldview will raise about um, origins. And then there's human nature, the body-soul phenomenon, whether reality is framed in terms of the individual person or a group, the community, one's status and role, and as we heard um, this morning, um, also male, female can be part of, of a view of reality uh, and um, in terms of uh, structures and hierarchy and, 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 and so forth. And then you have ethics, the norms and the authority together with honor, shame, fear, power, innocence, guilt paradigms in which ethics and the norms and authority operate within different worldviews and how Islam might factor under that. Then you have the time and events, the kinds of time, biological time, personal time, physical time, metaphysical time, uh, sacred time, profane time, past, present, future. And uh, these are things that unfold within a, an Islamic worldview. Um, space, material world, um, intimate space, personal space, gender space. You go to Saudi Arabia, uh, the male-female space is, is palpable. Very, very much so. Um, the problem of evil, its origin and so forth, and, and uh, hope and destiny. These are, these are worldview realities or um, issues that, that are comprised within any worldview. And so when we're talking about a, the uh, Adventist meta-narrative or the great controversy, the great controversy speaks to each of these, these issues. We don't have time to relate to them all here this morning or this afternoon, but um, I raise them in terms of the kinds of things that we need further study on. So now the distinctives of um, uh, Islamic worldview. Islamic worldview is drawn largely from the Quran and the prophetic traditions of Muhammad's sayings and actions, which are known as the Hadith. Islam has been perceived as encompassing different worldviews and practices within one unifying global entity or overarching worldview. In essence, Muslims share a family of worldviews that rely on shared principles, but they interpret and apply these principles differently. There are universal and translocal Islamic worldviews and local Muslim ethnocosmologies. This organic diversity and unity is expressed in differing pa paradigms, and we will look at a few of these. 
doctrinal paradigm, a communal paradigm, an ontological paradigm, a spatial paradigm, a temporal paradigm, an honor-shame paradigm, and imagination and dream world paradigm. While much can be said about the Quranic worldview, three defining themes permeate and dominate. And I see my time is, is uh, coming up in a real hurry here. Three defining themes permeate and dominate, the oneness and transcendence of Allah, the nature and the purpose of the Quran, and the person and work of Muhammad in relation to um, the, the Quran. And uh, Muslim devotion um, begins with the Shahada, which brings all, uh, these three entities together in an incredible uh, unif unifying way to the place where uh, to obey God is to obey Muhammad and to obey the Quran and to obey the Quran is to obey Muhammad and to obey uh, God and the distinction between God and Muhammad essentially blurs. Um, you have other phenomenon like Muhammad's night journey which um, brings together the horizontal and the vertical spheres of reality. And you have that in spite of a, a, the oneness and the unicity of God that brings all of reality together, you still have a divided reality where God and non-God um, exist. And this is where um, uh, we, we find that in spite of a radical monotheism, which implies a correlation between oneness of God and the oneness of existence and a unified world and an integrated universe, uh, nevertheless, there is a realm of God and the realm of non-God. And this leads into a discussion then of how um, Islamic worldview uh, is tacit uh, Neoplatonic and also surprisingly and almost contradictorily um, it is also tacit uh, animistic and uh, several uh, surahs of the Quran clearly um, unfold uh, a world of jinns and demons and evil eyes and curses and sorcery, and um, we have the phenomenon, what uh, is, uh, has come to be known as um, folk Islam. And then you also have the night of power during uh, Ramadan and the geocentric power implications of the Kaaba uh, in Mecca, which is considered to be a the most sacred spot on earth and also the, the center of uh, the earth or the, the universe. And um, along with that then, uh, there is a n number, you can find this one book, uh, uh, Muslim Worldviews and Everyday Lives, um, where the author outlines the doctrinal paradigm, and this is the unity and the oneness of God, the communal uh, paradigm, which has to do with the the community of Islam globally and within a country, the ontological paradigm, God, spirit, angels, jinns, humans, and the other world, the spatial paradigm, and um, so forth. Uh, 
So, uh, with that in mind, uh, just briefly going through here, um, Islam has achieved something that has always been unusual, an integration of the religious, the political, the moral, the social, the juridis uh, juridical, and the intellectual, thus constituting a rigorous whole of which each element forms an integral part. And this is just an uh, illustration of where um, Islam fits in um, the um, spectrum of philosophical thinking. And I can see my time is running out on my, my battery on my computer as well. So, um, uh, such is life. So, in, in um, closing, I want to um, just to briefly uh, share with you that uh, Islam and the great controversy meta-narrative, we asked the question, what role does Islam, does Islam play in the great controversy? Well, um, I have some suggestions. There is the phenomenon of Islamic imperialism and how it started and its, its early years of conquest. Uh, the reality that it is resolutely non-Christian in its, its um, project, and uh, the, the decline of Christianity, the systematic decline of, of, of Christianity in all the areas of, of which it, it uh, dominates, um, the Islamic influence on Christian theology and praxis. Um, there has been a, a marked influence um, or an imitation in the part of Christianity in some areas of, of the world where Islam dominates. In fact, where I live, you can draw a, a, a line between Islam, Maronite, Orthodox, and Evangelical Christianity, and you can even see some, some of the same patterns of thinking within Adventists uh, uh, within uh, the region as well. So Islam has had an impact on Christianity. Um, then we have Islam in Adventist prophetic perspective. We have the question of, of, of God and the person and the work of Jesus Christ and the eternal gospel. And as I've already said, the invitation of Revelation 18 and the three angels' message. So in concluding, I want to um, share with you just a couple implications that... Um, to me, why I would even take the time to do this. Islamic worldview confronts us with challenges. Like any worldview, it's not purely conceptual. It reaches beyond ideas, culture, and ritual to the inner recesses of the human self. It deals with the affairs of the heart. And um, I want to know how to reach the, that um, level because I want to learn better how to understand and engage a Muslim as a person who lives and breathes within the worldview that uh, can be articulated both from a Christian and um, an Islamic perspective. While we seek understanding of what Islamic worldview fundamentally is, we're more concerned about the nature of its impact existentially on a Muslim's deepest orientation his or her identity and spirituality. 
We desire deeper sensitivity to the existential realities of individual Muslims with respect to the confusion, uncertainty, insecurity, the threat, the shame, the fear, the loss of control, the powerlessness, the hopelessness, the resentment, the anger, and identity crisis which they experience in relation to the contemporary issues that confront them and the reality that their worldview no longer delivers or does not deliver adequately. Muslims have most, if not all, of the same very human and personal needs and desires and wants and struggles that you and I have. They have many of the same spiritual and existential questions and struggles as Adventist Christians do. And we must sense this deeper personal need on their, their part and seek to connect with Muslims on that level. And I believe understanding their worldview and, 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 and as uh, Van Hooser mentioned, stepping, stepping into the, this social imaginary, stepping into their worldview and, and, and imagining as much as we can. If I was hearing these things on a regular basis, how would I feel and how would I operate? And I believe that when I am able to do that, then I'm not contextualizing to a culture or a religion. I am con contextualizing to a person who is hurting, a person who has needs. And then I can, because I understand the frame of reference in which they are operating in, I can better bring um, hope from my grasp of uh, scripture and the hope of the great controversy. So the implications, there is need to understand the importance of Islamic worldview in our work with Muslims, not just the behavioral or the doctrinal matters. There is need to take seriously the reality that the Muslims whom we serve live and think and move within a given worldview there is need to enter as much as possible into a Muslim's worldview deep enough to understand its philosophical and existential underpinnings. We must enter their intellectual and social imaginary world. We must ask why do Muslims cling to their worldview? What makes them tick? And where is the dissonance and the pain? There is need to articulate our Adventist biblical worldview. I'm coming to an end. The, the great controversy is a positive, non-judgmental uh, way in which we can do that. So, I'm done. I have much... Thanks. I, w I would like to say, though, as I'm wrapping up, Three, three young men in, in Mena can trace their journey from Islam to Adventist faith by reading the great controversy. It's amazing how the reading of one book can bring such a radical shift of worldview that puts a man or a woman on a journey towards the truth. I believe that uh, we have much to learn from that experience. <laughs>